Murdoch University, Alumni After Dark, powering your mind. Welcome everyone to the very first episode of Murdoch Alumni's podcast, Alumni After Dark. My name is Sam and I'm your host. Uh, Some of you may know me already. I'm your alumni relations officer um, and you've probably received an email or a phone call from me at some point or another. Um, And I'm also a proud Murdoch alumnus. Uh, And we're just really excited to be able to reach out to you all. um, And I really hope that you enjoy this series. Uh, In this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing some of our successful alumni and we'll chat about some topical issues uh, and look at ways to improve our professional or our personal development. I'll also be shining a light on some of Murdoch's alum who have had some unique experiences, um, which leads me into our first interview. Last week, I spoke to a very accomplished alumnus, Ryan Daniels. Um, Ryan graduated from Murdoch University in 2009 with a Bachelor of Arts in Media Studies and is now a Channel 7 sports news reporter. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview. So I will just start by saying thank you for joining me today. No worries. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been obviously a really unique, uh, interesting year for you, like the experiences that you've had yeah. going to Tokyo and reporting the Olympics there. Obviously, it's like first time in history because of the pandemic. It yeah. was like, was it how it was? Um, and then the AFL Grand Final, the Australian Rules Football, the Grand Final, which is obviously the biggest sporting event in Australia of the year. Um, first time held in Perth, which yeah. is a massive, massive deal. Yeah, yeah, it's been a crazy, like, um, really sort of two years. Like, I, I since this COVID stuff started, everything has shifted with sport and everything, uh, with everything. But sport has been unique because it's something that most Australians turn to for distraction or for joy or for, you know, whatever. There's a lot of people who are obsessed with sport. Um, and so how we were going to be able to play sport, how we were going to be able to watch it, how we were going to be able to be there in person if that was possible... Um, all of these things were, were pressing. And it's not life and death. A lot of this stuff with pandemic is life and death. Yeah. To some people, sport can be as close to life and death as possible. That's right. Uh, yeah. But in reality, it's not. Um, <laughs> but for me, so my job typically is pretty standard. Like, you know, you go to press conferences, you go to training sessions, you go to the games, um, you report on that, and then, you know, the next week rolls into the next one. But with this pandemic, everything shifted, as I said. So um, suddenly, you know, games were being postponed, left, right and centre. They played in front of zero crowds. Um, last year, 2020, um, I ended up spending 13, 14 weeks in Queensland to cover the football, the Aussie rules, because it was over there, mm-hmm. so in hubs. So I was away from my family for a long time. So that was sort of the start of the weirdness um, and since then, everything's just been so different, yeah. um, but fascinating as well. Like I've approached it, um, and so has my wife in, in the sense that, okay, well, this is hopefully never going to happen again. So let's just approach these as opportunities, um, trying to navigate borders, trying to navigate, you know, having to work during a pandemic and how, what all the rules are with media. Um, so last year was the start of it. And then this year, um, you know, it was there were different issues that were popping up. The Olympics was obviously something that, we weren't sure it was even going to go ahead. I mean, it was postponed already for a year. Um, and even to the point where just before I was going, I was telling people, you know, friends and family that I was going and um, they couldn't believe that it was even going ahead. Yeah. Um, and part of me, to be honest, was like, you know, I'm not sure it will, like until I was on that plane. And then I was like, okay, well, I guess this is happening. Um, were you nervous about the fact that you were going overseas and how 
yeah. how are you going to get back? A like, little bit. Yeah. yeah, there was part of that. Like I, initially, I just said yes straight away. Um, I was on the phone to my boss and I was sitting next to my wife, Kelly, and we just sort of, I said, oh, yeah, I'll get back to you. And then she's like, yeah, don't no, go. It's the Olympics. Like, you can't say no. That's right. Um, and then after that, it was like, okay, hold on a minute. Well, how does this look? Am I, Japan at that time, the numbers, they weren't quite sure about how many cases they were getting. There was some reports it was, you know, they weren't testing a lot, um, but the numbers were a lot higher than Australia um, and definitely higher than WA, which has been sort of fairly COVID protected. Um so I had to get vaccinated to go. That was part of the rule. Like, if, you know, you don't have to do it, but if you want to go, you've got to get it. So I did that. And I hadn't even thought about that until that point. I was like, I didn't know how I felt about vaccinations. I mean, I was always probably going to get it. But until that point, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's now. I've got to make this decision. I was like, well, I want to go to the Olympics, so let's yeah. do it. So I did that. And then um, on the way over there, it's – so when you're in WA and you're dealing with this COVID stuff, we never really feel like we're going to get COVID. Like, because even the times we've had these little mini lockdowns, it hasn't been bad compared to the rest of the world. Realistically, you kind of do the things like you wear masks and you do... You never think it's going to happen again. You don't. Well, you don't think that you're going to get in a lift with somebody and get COVID. That's right. But when you're going overseas, that was the first time where I was like, oh, I could actually get it. And how does that look? And can I get home? And I don't want to get stuck in Tokyo in a random hospital for two weeks. So there was all those things that went through my head, but I was very careful... Um, and to Seven's credit and to the Olympics organisers' credit, everything could not have been more sort of streamlined and organised in terms of COVID testing. And um, we, like we got there and we had there were certain hotels which were approved for the people working there and you couldn't do anything other than go to those hotels or go to the venues. And even when you're at the venues, there were so many strict protocols about where you could be and you know how many times you had to wash your hands and sanitize and wear your masks basically everywhere um we had this little from hotels there was 15 minutes a day where you could go to a nearby convenience store which had been approved and in that 15 minutes that was your only time being out anywhere um so you'd race yeah it was meaning to oh no i forgot the milk (laughs) yeah so you've got literally and you run in there and some days you didn't even need to go because you had stuff but you just did it because you were like well i got nothing else to do so you just get this 15 minutes and you it's like a game show you're running around just grabbing random things because they timed you what's that what's that um that TV show where they run around with that trolley. Yeah, and whatever you fit in there, you get to... Yeah, it felt like that. Um, Because they timed you hard. Like, if you got back and you were outside the 15 minutes, you got a a warning, and then if you did it again, you were gone. They put you on a plane and you were gone. So it was really tight. um, But because of all that, I kind of felt safe enough. Um, And I was just really careful. Like, we were. that was the first 14 days. After that, we could go out, but I just didn't. Like, I thought, well, I don't want to get stuck here. desperate to send my kids i've got to do two weeks quarantine on the way back anyway so let's just get this done and get home um so yeah there was some fear but like i was pretty careful yeah cool and what was it like having the olympics with no crowds what was that like yeah for some sports it was really noticeable like the team sports when you're in a big arena and like normally like the basketball or the hockey you'd have cheers but for some sports you didn't notice Mm. um like you know i was at the rock climbing and the, um, even the rowing, like the rowing where I was sort of situated and where you could see the, the river that they were racing up and down, you didn't know there was no crowd there. And there was enough people there in competitors and media mm. for there to be enough noise to think that, oh, there are people here. Yeah. So it was probably more noticeable on TV than it was there. Sure. Um, although like the basketball, I covered a fair bit of that and I was sitting like basically courtside and I was looking around going, this is so weird. Like... <laughs> 
it's like this game is being played for me. Like, yeah, I'm the only person course. here. Um, and I'm a massive basketball fan, so you could hear the players talking to each other. You could hear every detail. Um, it, so that stuff was strange. but um, Pretty cool, though. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And my thinking of the games from when I was going and wasn't sure if it was going to happen to being, oh, am I going to get cope? Once I got there, I was like, this is exactly what the world needed. Like, I was apprehensive about whether it was a waste of time and money, but I was like... I feel like with everything that's going on and people loved it like they watched it in record numbers yeah. and the vibe was just you know australia did really well in the pool and so much great stories came out of it and it just sort of i think it unified a lot of people um the olympics do that anyway but i think this time we all kind of needed it yeah that's right yeah. and what was the most significant sporting moment of the olympics for you um well i had two i had one where i was doing the rowing and the rowing was hot and hard it was really tough like from a media perspective working it was like you knew you'd work that day long stretches in the heat um and there was the final rowing day i did we had four australian boats in the space of an hour in finals and we won uh it went uh gold gold bronze bronze so we had this great little sort of rush of medals and that was my first gold medal covering um and that was fantastic and it was so quick that like you know you'd be interviewing one of the gold medal crews and then like the girls who won bronze after that were, were they weren't expected to be in the top five or six they were sort of outsiders but as i was interviewing these girls the others were crossing the line in bronze and then they were going mad so it was really cool yeah. and that's sort of when i caught the bug that was about six days in and i was like all right i'm all in here like this is actually fantastic um and all the other stuff just drifted away and then doing i'm a, as i said a massive basketball fan i got to cover five or six games including the u.s team and um some massive personalities and some of the best athletes in the world so covering that was pretty cool too and the boomers bronze medal and all that which was great when you interviewed them did you have a certain time and then they'd had to be chaperoned off because of covid no well not necessarily covid it's just how it's because there's a lot of tv crews there like so and it's prioritized so um nbc is the biggest because they're americans major broadcaster at the game so they are in the first box it's called a mix zone so you kind of lined up in these little cubicles near the event um and so they come off in the basketball case they come off the court and then they nbc would grab whoever they wanted first and they get the first choice because it's their country and also they're the biggest and then like maybe you know bbc was next and then yeah. we'd often be sort of third fourth in line at channel seven okay. um which was still pretty good there's yeah. others that were like 20 down or not even wow. in there um so and then it becomes a bit of a free-for-all if you can get them to come over to you and you grab them and you get three questions maximum like a minute and a half and then they're whisked off to do something else so it's and a bit of a thrill then right it's a like, massive thrill and yeah. you can't stuff it up because they ain't coming back um <laughs> not like the podcast. no exactly <laughs> there's no do-overs so like you, you you've got to kind of get it right um and often it's live, sometimes it's close to, because you might be in an ad break, and so they'd record it and then turn it around, but you don't get a chance to go again. Yeah. Um, so it's super intense, but really exciting. And, wow. Yeah, really Amazing. cool. Yeah. And what about some like, personal highlights for you? Well, from the Olympics? Yeah, like some um, sort of achievements or like goals that you've kept. Well, I always, no I suppose as a sports broadcaster, you always want to do at least one Olympic Games. Yeah. And so now, like getting to even get selected from a, I mean, Seven only sent, I think we had seven or eight reporters over there from a national, and I was the only one from WA. Yeah. So that in itself was like, this is pretty great. Like yeah. I, you know, I'm, in terms of, if I sit back at the end of my career and say I got to go to Olympic Games, and even if it's just one, and it was such a bizarre one, um, no one will forget the Tokyo Games in a hurry. Um, that was pretty fantastic for me, just being there. Yeah. And then there were a couple of moments like where I sort of would just sit around and go, this is amazing, and sort of pinch yourself a yeah. bit. Um, but no, I think just 
once you're there and it's you're super busy and it's like obviously quite intense at times, you just kind of put your head down and you, and you bow up and you go. Um, but I imagine it was, it's more on like the plane ride back. Like, did that just happen? Yeah, kinda. <laughs> yeah, and seven like were great. Like they on the way back they put us all in first class or oh, nice. because well, at the, they were worried about the cap of you know people coming back in and like oh, could, yeah, okay. are you going to get bumped off flights and they didn't want any of us left behind which was part of us agreeing to go. It was yeah. like, well, we make sure you get home. Um, and so, you know, you're kicking back in first class with a scotch so and you're cool. like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, so the AFL was obviously the other yeah. uh, event that's just um, happened. Yep. And um, in its history, I think it's only been twice that it's ever been held outside of Melbourne, right? So yeah, yeah. Coming to Perth. And a first time in a very long time. Yeah. Um, and so it... it I mean, this was probably never going to happen realistically. There's a contract with the MCG and the Victorian government and the AFL to keep that game in Melbourne pretty much for eternity. Yeah. Um, it's one of the weirdest contracts in sport. Um, and because of the pandemic, Brisbane got to hold it last year. I was there for that game as well, as I, was, as I talked about earlier yeah. in the hub, um, and then in Perth this time. And it it was amazing to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, like, I've been writing that story for two years in terms of can we get it? Will we get it? How do we get it? Um, and so I really did feel like I was genuinely a part of it. Not that I had influenced it, but more that, you know, I couldn't have been closer to the story in terms of from a reporter's perspective. Um, so being there on the day, like, that was another moment where you sort of sit back and go, I can't believe this has happened. Like, if you'd said even a, even 18 months ago that that was going to be possible, no one would have believed you. Um, and it was such a a great grand final in so many ways they ticked every single box um and added a few more and then ticked those as well like mm-hmm. it was it was marvelous and wa is such a proud football state to get that um it was it was actually quite beautiful i think yeah it was uh, definitely a career highlight i would say that's amazing yeah. and, and do you think that that game put perth on the sporting map yeah i mean look i think in australia we're all everyone appreciates wa we're sort of like we're like in terms of the way Australia is seen in the world in terms of this scrappy nation in sport, I think WA is that within Australia. Yeah. You know, like we don't have a huge population, but we always kind of do pretty well. Yeah. Um, and so we're all, you know, the Wildcats have always been really good and the Eagles and have had a lot of success and the, you know, the Dockers have had their moments too. And we sort of, we always sort of, you know, bat out of our weight division sort of thing, you know, like, so I think in some ways it was, maybe people went, oh, wow, they can do the big stuff too. Like, they can do the scrappy, but they can have a grand final and it can be every bit as good as it was in Melbourne and we can fill the stadium and the corporate dollars were huge and um, there was no hitch. Like, that is the kind of thing I think it was like, oh, well, okay, what else can they do? And there was really positive media coverage. 100%. Yeah. I don't think I was just saying this to someone this morning. I don't think I've seen one piece of negative press in terms of the way the game went and the way the lead up went um everything about it was pretty much seamless yeah Yeah. awesome um obviously you love sports yeah (laughs) yeah so doing this do you feel that it's work like does it kind of ruin the sports or do you think Uh, that it's yeah it heightens it for you or it doesn't ruin them but it definitely changes the way you cover it like any any sports reporter or journalist who says they got into it and that I weren't really a fan before, I don't think is accurate. I, I think anyone who wants to do this job is obsessed with sport mm. at some stage in their life. Um, and I loved, you know, basketball, football, um, and all the statistics that go with it. And I was a massive Eagles fan. I'd go to games and I'd 
cry when they lost and cheer when they won, sometimes cry when they won. You know, I drove over to a grand final in 05 and, you know, they lost and that was devastating and I went back in 06 and they won. And I was a fan, a genuine fan and that was sort of my early 20s while I was studying at Murdoch. And then once I got into the media, it just started slowly shifting away from that fandom um, and it got to a point in, uh, it's 2015, I was at the grand final and it had been a particularly difficult year work-wise. It was busy. The okay. Eagles and Dockers were both really good and so my workload was like significant. Um, and they were getting beaten in the first quarter of that game and I was you know, up in the stands and I was like relieved that they were losing. And I was like, oh, wow, this is different. I don't, in the past, I would have been devastated. That, but in, in that moment, I was like, oh, thank God. Because so I, interesting. Well, because yeah, I didn't want to do a whole course. another week of parades and celebrations because I just had no energy left. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm not a fan anymore. Oh, no. And I still love the game. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I was there in 2018 when they won, and it was fantastic to be a part of that. Like, to cover a winning grand final side from WA was epic. Mm. But I think it would have meant just as much to me if it was the Dockers, you know. So it was um, it was an eye-opening experience. Um, so I wouldn't call myself a fan of any club now, but I love the game, and I'll watch every single game, you know. It's part of my job. Yeah. Um, and I love the individual stories within it. So, like, a lot of these players I'll meet when they're 17, 18, and then, you know, you watch them sort of grow into a, a man and then, a, you know, hopefully a, have a great career, and some of them don't. But, um, yeah, I think that's sort of where I'm at with it now. And one day, maybe, like, I've got I've got two kids, and maybe once they start getting interested in teams and sports, it might yeah. come back for me a little bit. But at the moment, I just see it very differently. Yeah, that's interesting. Yep. Um, and what's some of the biggest challenges your role um well time management can be hard like particularly during a footy season um it's pretty full-on um and the media industry um it can be like it can be lucrative from a financial perspective but you have to work for that like you have to really you have to do multiple things um like if you work in tv you probably also have to do some radio stuff and maybe do some writing and like really fill your week um and that can be great, but it can also be, you know, it can fill your week. Um, and when you've got a young family and you're trying to do, you know, some downtime for yourself too, that can be tough. So part of the biggest part of the role for me, I find, is not necessarily the work part. It's balancing everything else. Personal um, and work yeah, life. Yeah, because yeah. you want to be a great dad and you want to be yeah. a great husband and you want to actually be able to go for a jog and clear your brain. So I prioritise that stuff as all on the same sort of level yeah. throughout the week. And when it's not football season, it's easier to do that. Um, and you sort of almost exhale a little bit. Um, so that's probably the most difficult part. Once you get past the part about, can I do the job? Can I write? Can I speak on camera without panicking? Syndrome. Yeah, like once you get through that, um, it's that it's it's almost not easy, but it, it, you can't, it's like any other job. Yeah. Um, so the challenges in that perspective, they, they melt away pretty quick. Mm. But it is also super competitive industry. There's not a lot of jobs. Um, so it takes a long time to get to a point where you get to do things like the Olympics and grand finals and go and do the fun stuff. And some people don't get there because it's such a long slog um, that at some point you might get five years in and go, you know what, I'm just going to go do this other thing where I can make more money and I can work irregular hours and not work weekends. Yeah. And not you've, got a, you've obviously got a passion for it. You have to. Yeah. You have to. And any time, like we get lots of work experience guys coming through here, lots of students, and my thing is always, look, if you love it, you'll be fine. Like, But you have to really love it and you have to be willing to outlast every other person that loves it the same amount as you. Um, 
And you also don't want to get to the point where you, you love it and then 10 years you finally got into it and then you hate it, yeah. you know? Like, as I said, I'm not a footy fan anymore in terms of a team, but I still love football. Game, yeah. So that hasn't disappeared for me. Do you think you need a bit of a competitive streak? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've seen a lot of good people come through who um, have sort of passive personalities and they're just... They, they can stick around, but in terms of building a really successful base for themselves, mm-hmm. um, because it's it can be a quite an individual career, you know, like you're always competing and you're always going, okay, well, where am I going next? And um, because the pathways are pretty limited, you know, there's only a certain number of spots, um, it's really like not many other careers are, are like this, I would have thought, like it's a strange one. And, it, and on the flip side, not to go off on a tangent, it's a really strange career in that, and this can be a challenge, Everybody you know can see what you do every day. Yeah. Like you can go, you know, go to a family barbecue and they know what you did yesterday in terms of what story you did or wh- where you were or whatever. And that's really weird. Mm. You know, like it's a really weird experience. Sometimes you just want to tune out, you know, like and not have conversations about that your work. day all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's nice to sort of have people involved in your life. Yeah. But, yeah. It's definitely a unique Unique Super role. unique. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Murdoch yeah. and your time there. So yeah. what are some of your favourite memories? Oh, um, well, um, my, I think I left school, did, went to year 12, but I didn't do my TE. Um, and I always wanted to be a journalist. I just sort of didn't really know how to get to that point of actually becoming one so I sort of I worked full-time at McDonald's for a couple of years as a manager and then it got to a point where I was about 20 and I was like okay I really want to do this journalism thing so I sort of I kind of went and did one of those sort of stat tests I don't even know if they call it that anymore where you have to do a test to get in oh, yeah, a yeah. different way um so I did that and got into Murdoch and I only chose Murdoch because the girl I was dating at the time was going to Murdoch <laughs> I did no research as to what uni I should go to it was the closest one to my house um, oh, that's so, so funny. the decision making process was terrible, <laughs> but I got lucky. Obviously worked out. Well, I got right? lucky. Yeah, like I mean, I, I I'm very grateful that those two things, you know, that the relationship with the girl didn't last much longer. But I got to Murdoch because of her, um, <laughs> and so uh, you know that was my first experience. It kind of felt like, well, this is next level, and it was you know it's such a beautiful campus, and you get there and it's overwhelming, um, but I kind of liked how. Um, I don't know what the right word for it is. It's not alternative, but it's just, I don't know, I feel like you can you can be yourself there. It's not, it doesn't feel like mechanical or corporate yeah. or anything like that. It kind of feels like, all right, well, you just find your little path and you go. Um, I, have, I have some regrets about my time at uni. I probably didn't socialise enough um, and I didn't really probably throw myself into my studies enough, but there were people there that like obviously saw something in me and helped me incredibly there was a um leo who's still there but i believe now mm. do you know him yeah. yeah yeah so he um he helped me immensely with some of my radio stuff that i was doing and trying to get into you know, into this building and i got here probably because of him a lot um chris smyth who's no longer there now he was running the media school for a while he you know on multiple occasions helped me and um so i think that was the thing i learned that you know you can you can give people a, a hand and you can, if you, you know, I think I was very grateful for those experiences yeah. with those people. Um, but in general, I loved the radio program, you know, spending hours in there just trying to figure out what the hell was going on with like the equipment and how to talk on radio. And no one was listening, but it was experience yeah. and it was reps. Um, and so I think being there gave me 
um, a real confidence that I could do it. Um, and But without an intense pressure that I think comes with some other places yeah, you might go. As well, like, yeah. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really cool that you bring up Leo because I had a really similar uh, experience to you where my academic chair recommended me for this position. So yeah. it's really awesome that you can just tell that the academics really care. They do, yeah. You know? um, I think you think and, the and word academic creates, and it's like some stuffy professor yeah, in a room, right. but they're not like that. And they create those opportunities for you. you yeah. Know? So, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and so I guess that's how, is that how you got your foot in the door of the broadcasting industry? Through sort Leo? of. How did that? Um, yes, well, it's a very lucky story, but um, I mentioned that I was working at McDonald's as a manager. Yeah. Um, and I did that for years, um, even while I was studying at Murdoch. Um, and then I got to uh, a point where I was like coming to the end of my degree, um, maybe a year to go, and I was managing a store um, in Carousel Shopping Centre, the food court there, and my second in charge manager, her name was Melissa, we were talking one day, she's like, oh, what are you studying at uni again? I was like, oh, um, media studies, I want to do journalism. She's like, oh, my dad runs Channel 7. I was like, what? Now, I'd worked with this girl for about five years, and she'd never mentioned this before, and I was like, you need to get me some work experience. Yeah, And so she did, like, she talked to her dad, and obviously he was a really high level, and he just got me in the door for a week's worth of work experience and then on that week I just um I caught the bug and there was a couple of people here who like were really kind to me Adrian Barrich uh, he's still I still work with him now he's one of the sports guys and um he just said oh come back on the weekend and I was like cool and then so I did and then the next week he was like come back next weekend if you want I was like cool <laughs> so I did that for a year every weekend didn't get paid for it but i just come in and i'd help out and i'd yeah. be here and um and then that turned into um there was like an entry-level job here doing library and archiving so i did that one day a week and I, then i was on the payroll and then that turned into i ended up working in publicity somehow uh, for nine months that was ridiculous but that led me to here and so in 2010 i got the sports job that i always wanted and it was just yeah. these little bits and pieces but to get the sports job i had to show that i could do something and yeah. so leo helped me dub my voice onto like some commentary of some football that and, and it took way too long it was like six hours and he <laughs> helps me out this entire time so I, i'm eternally grateful and it was all that sort of little building blocks that got me here um yeah. but uh, yeah i i wouldn't have done it any other way it was a cool journey yeah great and yeah. so we've actually just had um our september grads um that was just late september um, so what's some advice that you would give um, the recent grads that maybe want to get into the broadcasting media industry? Yeah. Some sort of tips and hints that um, you give them? Well, my biggest one is the, the one I said before about just you need to outlast everybody else. If you really love it um, and you're good at it, and I'll get to that point in a minute, but if you really love it, you just have to outlast everybody because people will get frustrated and they'll drop off and they'll go, oh, there's just no jobs. I'll go do something else. Um, but if you really want it, there are pathways. Mm. And like mine, they're often not normal ones. They're not like, oh, you get an internship and then you do three months and then they like you and then you come back and, you know, like it's different. It's just not that kind of industry. Um, and the other thing is writing. Like if you can write, you can do anything in this industry. Like, and I mean, like you have to get the reps. Um, when I was studying at Murdoch and I couldn't get a job here, um, every single spare moment I had, I was writing a book. And the book, oh, wow, never, okay. well, the book never got published but I wrote 600 pages and it was every spare moment. And I think that taught, like it really got the reps up for the writing. Yeah. It's like that, you know, the 10,000 hours that you just, 
get it out of your system and write as much as you can and who knows who will ever see it but what it, was the book on football oh, okay yeah cool. so and look one day i'm consider it revisiting it and yeah. look it's probably terrible it was like 12 13 years ago but this you know it, it helped me sort of get you know the momentum of writing and, and learning what my style was and try to figure out okay well I like writing this way so I'm going to do this and then I might try this and um, just write anything you can get you know get that up to speed um, and then you'll find a role because the writing is the key bit yeah mm. cool yeah um so what's next for you I don't know um like this, as I've said a few times, this industry, it's its really small, the pathways are tiny. Um, so I've always approached it that just whatever I'm doing right now, do it as well as I can. Um, always be um, looking for the next thing um, and say yes to everything. So I don't know. I'm sort of at this point now where I, if I left media now and went and did something else, I'd be like, that was pretty cool. I did a lot of things that I wanted to do. Um, I don't know what I want to do next, so I'm trying to sort of work through that myself mm. right now, whether it's commentary or just stay with news or um, I've just started writing a column the last two years for the West and I really enjoy that. So it's, um, I don't know, the answer to is I'm confirmed. not sure. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's a really, it, it can move pretty quickly and it can change in front of you and yeah. so I'm going to do some more radio next year and so there's all little different things and we'll just see where it ends up. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for chatting to me today. I really appreciate it. And, yeah, just sharing your journey, your Murdoch journey, and obviously what's happened over the last year. It's been really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Oh, no problem, Sam. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening after Darkers. Um, I hope I can call you that. Um, if you're interested in checking out Ryan's profile, I've added his LinkedIn and Twitter in the description of this podcast. That's all for now. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the first episode and uh, to keep up to date with all the new content, don't forget to follow Alumni After Dark. Thanks again and until next time.